terroir, the complete natural environment in which a particular wine is produced, including factors such as the soil, topography, and climate. For years, it's been believed that grapes draw their character from the soil, sun, and the temperature in which they are grown. With this thought in mind, could the same be said for agaves, using a single estate or single piece of land that's impacted by its own microclimate? Well, today, we'll be speaking with a brand that was the first to showcase this with tequila. And showcase it, they did. I'm talking about Tequila Ocho on this episode of The Agave Social Club Podcast, hosted by me, Doug Price. Welcome to the show. This is the Agave Social Club Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Price, and I'm here today with Jesse Estes from Tequila Ocho. Jesse, thank you so much for being here and welcome. Thanks for having me on, Doug. Before we kind of jump into the friendship, the relationship between your father, Tomas Estes, and Carlos Camarena and this amazing tequila, I wanted to hear you are the brand ambassador for Tequila Ocho. Can you share a little bit of, hey, what, what's your role? What does that entail as brand ambassador? Brand ambassador is my title, and I would say I do a little bit of everything within the company. So work in international sales as well, so with our markets outside of North America, with my uh, counterpart, Salva, Salva Blanco, who he and I are the entire uh, international team for Tequila Ocho. Also do new product development and international marketing, as well as being the quote-unquote brand ambassador, which I would kind of describe as really an advocacy and an education role. So really talking about the brand, putting on events, doing tastings is how I would describe the brand ambassador part of the role. So your your father at, at one point, maybe still is, I know he was uh, one of two tequila ambassadors for the Mexican government worldwide. Pre- pretty awesome. The Mexican National Tequila Chamber gave him the title ambassador to Europe for tequila. And and I've, I've had the honor to, to speak with him like yourself. I mean, very humble, very down to earth guy. He's opened up over a dozen restaurants. I, I read somewhere that he has served over 4 million margaritas uh, in his his career. And and so, you know, all of that to say, he's got a, a, a deep knowledge and love for tequila, but he also has a deep knowledge and love for wine, which immediately kind of jumps into, you know, that terroir, which I know Tequila Ocho has really kind of led the charge on. And if anybody has any tequila knowledge, you know that Carlos Camarena, who's the master distiller here, is, is wildly legendary in the tequila industry with his entire family making tequila for generations. What were those early conversations like, or as they were brainstorming, how did this come about to create Tequila Ocho? Yeah, thanks, Doug. Great, great question. And like you said, there's a lot of parallels within uh, kind of the story of Tequila Ocho and the production process between tequila and wine. There are a lot of similarities, like you said, Doug, between Tequila Ocho and, and wine. And so my dad going back, you know, this is like 87 or 88, he started going to the Emprimeur tastings for 19 consecutive years in Burgundy. And wow. I think he became fascinated with this concept that's so well understood in, in wine, that's been understood by winemakers and wine enthusiasts for hundreds of years, that the French called terroir. Of course, most people listening to this podcast will be familiar with terroir, but just in case, Terroir is a word that encompasses all of the natural elements surrounding an agricultural product. Again, usually wine, but now, you know, more recently we hear about terroir and coffee, terroir and tea. I've got friends that are beer lovers and it's all about the hops, the terroir of the hops. So to me, it's something that, you know, 15, 20 years ago was less well understood in the tequila world. 
But my dad always wondered what would happen if in a very similar way to in, in the wine world in Burgundy, let's say as an example, creating a single vineyard wine, if we took that concept and applied it to tequila, creating a single field yeah. tequila, would terroir play a, play a role in that experiment in, in kind of the production of tequila? And the answer 26 different single fields later with Tequila Ocho is yeah. we can definitively say that it does play an influence you know, terroir does have an effect on tequila. So did he, did he bring this to Carlos? I mean, was there a friendship there and he brought this to Carlos Camarena and said, Hey, I've got this idea or how did that come about? It was kind of, so Carlos and my dad have been friends for, for some decades now, but it was really Carlos who approached my dad, I guess about 15 years ago now and said, Tomas, you know, I've been thinking I would love to create a brand with you, which is pretty unusual. You know, you got all these celebrity brands now and the celebrities will be the ones who approach the the distillery, you know, this, and this, yeah. in this case, you know, it was Carlos, obviously they were already friends, but Carlos was the one kind of who, who really initiated this. Okay. And my dad at the time was a bar owner, as you mentioned, a restaurant owner. He was a writer and a, and a journalist at the time, but he yeah. hadn't considered starting his own brand, but it was just one of the first things that came to his mind. The first thing was let's create a brand a tequila that has as much flavor of agave as possible. That's the kind of the number one goal with Tequila Ocho. And number two, he said, Carlos, could we create the first single field tequila? And Carlos and his family, the Camarena family, own all of their own fields, yeah. which means we're in the very unique position where we can actually do that. Carlos is probably one of the few producers that could actually do something like this. And I know Ocho, I mean, there's a lot of significance with the name with eight, Ocho translating to eight. Uh, can you talk through, you know, kind of neat to see as we learn about this brand, all, all of how eight ties in to the brand with the title? Yeah, that's exactly right. So Ocho eight, besides being our lucky number, was also the full name used on, on older Tequila Ocho bottles. You can see the full name on there, which is Muestra Número Ocho, so sample number eight. This was the eighth sample. This this took about three years, you know, to really develop what would become Tequila Ocho. Yeah. And Carlos played around with all these different production processes, you know, different ages of the agave, different ways of cooking, different ways of milling. Fermentation, we didn't play around with too much, but different ways of distilling. There's a lot of options there. And the result was all these different samples or what I call recipes. And when it came time to select the final recipe, my dad and Carlos did the tastings blind and independently in separate rooms. And at the end of the day, long day of tasting, taking notes, revisiting all these samples, they got back together in the office and Carlos said, Tomas, I'm dying to know which one was your favorite sample or your favorite recipe. And my dad said, for me, hands down, you know, the best sample and the one that had the most agave flavor was Muestra Número Ocho. And Carlos got very happy and said, Tomas, there's a uh, there's a piece of paper face down on my desk. Will you turn it over for me? And he turned it over, and it was just a, a red eight written on the on the empty page. So they both chose sample number eight, and then once once they chose the name Tequila Ocho, Tequila Eight, or Tequila Muestra Número Ocho, which is a, a mouthful, so they shortened it. They started seeing the number eight everywhere. So it takes on average eight years to grow our agave yeah. to full maturity takes on average eight kilos of raw agave to produce one liter of 40% or 80 proof tequila, Blanco yeah. tequila. And Carlos is the eighth child in his family. 
jalapenos in their eighth decade of tequila production. It just goes on and on and on. We see the, we see this number everywhere. I love how it all ties in and very traditional. Uh, you know, before we, we try, I've got a few here. And, and what I love is that this, is, I mean, you've created vintages. I mean, this is, you know, for people that are collectors, if you're a wine collector, this is the same thing with Tequila Ocho. And so it's almost kind of like this fun hunt to go, hey, what what year did you get? And, and what, you know, what field did you get? And because all of those really do come into play with different aromas and different flavors. Can you, before we taste anything, can we, can you talk us through what is the process from, you know, those fields to getting to that Blanco tequila and, and every, all the steps in between? Yeah, absolutely, Doug. And, and this reminds me when you say that it, it is like a collector's item. I had a friend in the Bay Area message me a, f- a photo of 2007 Elverhell Añejo, which I haven't seen a bottle of that in probably almost 10 years. Yeah. Uh, the first ever Añejo we produced. And I said, oh, that's amazing. You know, where, where did you find that? He told me the name of the liquor store. He said, hey, I'm going back anyway tomorrow. You want me to pick you up some? I said, <laughs> all of course, them. you know, yeah, all of them. And of course, he went back and, and they were gone. So wow. someone, you know, I don't I don't even know how stock ends up that old, you know, still on the shelf. But it's always fun to find those those gems. I know you've got a few behind you right now. Just a few. I do. I, I've got before we'll, we'll get into this, but I, I do have your 2009 Las Palmas. So talk us through this process and, and then we'll, we'll start with this 2009, uh, very coveted. I've posted it online and, and, you know, people kind of go crazy when, when they see that I have a bottle of it, but, but talk us through this process. You know, Doug, it's, it's so funny because I just, that's my favorite ever vintage is the, the 2009 Las Palmas Blanco, my favorite out of 26 so far. Yeah. And I just, we just found a, a bottle of Blanco and a bottle of Reposado as well. So we opened it last night as well. So oh, that'll cool. be fun to get to share that together yeah. uh, virtually. The first step of the process is, of course, the fields. And I already mentioned that Carlos and his family own all of their own agave fields, which is fairly rare in the industry currently. You know, there's probably a handful, half a dozen or so grower producers, as we refer to them as, that are, you know, families that still grow all of their own agave and produce their own tequila so they don't buy from the open market. That's really important to us. I mean, we spend so much time talking about the agave because that to us is what makes tequila or mezcal or any other agave spirit so unique and different from any other category. And I know you, you agree with that. Yeah. So, you know, to us, the best quality raw material needs to be used to create the best possible quality tequila. And so we don't use any chemical pesticides on the, in the soil or on the fields. And this is going back generations. Some of these fields have been in the family three, four, five generations. Yeah. So, you know, this is, this is great quality soil. A lot of the fields fall within what some people refer to as the golden triangle okay. in Los Altos de Jalisco. You know, this yeah. really coveted region of blue agave growing. And the distillery is right in the middle of that triangle. You know, the harvest, of course, after we've grown the agaves, even though we've talked about this single field concept, we don't actually harvest the whole fields okay. because we only want the ripest plants. So the, the team of Jimadores that Carlos has will go through and they only pick out the ripest plants. So one of the recent fields we harvested in the last year, we only harvested 40% of the field because that's all that was, that was ripe enough for us. And we produced that batch. The rest, you know, we'll, we'll harvest later for El Tesoro, Tapatio, our, our sister brands. Okay. You know, we only want the ripest plants because it gives us a very high sugar content and it gives us a high acidity level. 
as well. So this is kind of, we go back to this wine comparison. If you have a wine that's just sweet, you know, it's just jammy, flabby, it's flat, it lacks structure and body yeah. and complexity usually. And if, again, if you have a wine that's just acidic, well, it's, we don't want to drink vinegar, do we? So you really want that balance, that interplay between sweet and acidic. And that's what we look for with tequila ocho as well. After the harvest, we go on, take the agaves back to the distillery, to what we call the patio, which is where the agaves are kind of unloaded. This is La Altena, uh, amazing distillery, La Altena. Yeah, La Altena. And like, seriously, I know we can't really travel right now, guys, but let us know if you can make it to, to Jalisco and please do come visit. It's a beautiful, yeah. beautiful place. So they're sitting on the patio now and they sit there for a little bit of time there and, and then they start the process. Yeah, everything's pretty slow with us, you know, at La Altena. We're not in a big rush. So Carlos's whole argument is that we've waited eight long years for these plants to, to reach maturity. Why are we then going to rush through this process in, in minutes yeah. or hours or days? You know, this is something that takes a long time. So yeah, they'll sit on the patio. They'll be cut in half or quarters or left whole, depending on the size. But we want to get them kind of an, an equal size across the different sizes of piñas that they come in yeah. and then we load them into the ovens traditional stone brick ovens so cooked using steam and we do a 72 hour cooking process so 72 okay. full hours three full days in the oven and cooked at low heat so we keep that below 85 degrees celsius we don't want to burn the sugars and create a kind of over caramelization we want to ensure an even consistent cooking through the oven so the milling we use a molino a roller mill 100 percent, so not a tahona tequila and okay. the reason for that is is fairly interesting. Again, there was Tahona and Tahona blends in the samples, the original recipes. But Carlos and my dad, and actually I've been able to kind of do the same experiment, found that there was a, a, actually a lot more complexity in the 100% roller mill. Wow. Whereas okay. the Tahona has these very, you know, think of something like Fortaleza, which I see behind you, is just yeah. really clean. There's There's almost vanilla notes to me, even on the... Blanco, which is Blanco's, kind yeah. of unusual. Yeah. And I just find it beautiful, almost caramel as well, which is not something I typically find on Blanco. It's very clean, sweet, fresh. I absolutely love Fortaleza. It's one of my favorite tequilas. But we actually found in our experiments that there was more complexity, less of that sweetness, but more of that herbacity and complexity coming through with the roller mill, which is why we went with that. Okay. So that'll kind of crush the agaves and we rinse the fibers at the same time. So we're adding a second ingredient to our tequila, which is our own spring water. Uh, we've got our own spring, very fresh, clean mineral water, and we leave those minerals in. So we don't demineralize uh, okay. the water. And that's going to add a really nice, crisp kind of minerality, yeah, especially yeah. on the plata. And so far, I mean, everything is coming from the land. I mean, those agaves, you said you got your own spring. I mean, everything is, I mean, this is farm to glass tequila through and through. Yeah. I mean, I, that's, that's a great way to put it, Doug. And, and I hadn't even thought until just now, actually, which, which sounds crazy, but I hadn't considered really the terroir of that water as well, which yeah. is so important. That, that's absolutely a great point. And then where does it go from there? Are we heading to fermentation for the next step? Yeah. So all these areas are actually kind of in a straight line. So you just go from the ovens right back to the mill. And then if you keep going in a straight line, you're in the fermentation area. So we take that aguamiel, what we, what we call aguamiel, which is a sweet sugary liquid extracted yeah. from the cooked agaves, and put it in 3,000 liter pine wood fermenters. So again, okay. I think we're one of four, maybe five other distilleries 
uh, out of 150 plus registered tequila distilleries to still use wood instead of stainless, which is more common now. Okay. Wood, you know, is important to us because it's a natural insulator. So that room is not temperature controlled or humidity controlled. It's also just kind of tradition for us. But wood being porous, there's going to be microorganisms and yeast living kind of impregnated into that wood. And that's going to help us along with fermentation. It's an open fermentation. We use natural airborne yeast. So it's going to be quite slow. So we can we can use that extra help from previous batches impregnated in that wood. And this is going to be a long fermentation. So four to five days. Okay. And the resulting Mosto Muerto at the end is about 5%. Okay. So we've created our alcohol. We take it over to the stills. A lot of time to get to 4 or 5%. A lot of love and care to get to 4 and 5%. A lot of love and care. And as Carlos puts it, that's really where the magic happens. You know, that's yeah. where alcohol is being created and tons of flavor is being created at that point. The longer the fermentation, the more flavors are going to be created. And that's one of the reasons, not the only reason, one of the reasons that mezcal is so flavorful is because very often those fermentations are you know, three or four days or three or four weeks in some cases. Wow. Some okay. real funk on those. Oh, yeah. Okay, so then we're going to distillation. And are we stainless steel, copper? How does the distillation process work? So first distillation is, so double pot distilled. First distillation is a stainless steel with copper components, okay. medium, what I would call a medium-sized pot still, about 3,000 liters. And then we distill to around 21% give or take for our ordinario. And then that goes over to a quite a small 350 liter copper pot still, fully copper. And then we distilled to 55, give or take. So 110 proof. And then coming off there, we, we've got that Blanco. Is that resting in stainless steel at all? Or is that going, if you're choosing that for a Blanco, is that going right into a bottle? That'll rest a little while. You know, it just just a couple of days, usually sometimes a bit longer. We, do, we don't kind of do... I know some producers will leave it, you know, months to really soften that out and mellow some of those flavors. We don't leave it that long, but we do. It, it needs to rest before it goes into bottle. You know, there's a lot of crazy processes just happen, yeah. you know, from a it's chemical perspective. It's been jolted. So we want to let it recover. So as we talk about, you know, this terroir and, and everything, you know, the field, the soil, you know, how much sun it's getting, how much rain, how much wind, all of these things, you know, what's been planted there before, what's, what are the crops, all that comes into play. How, how are you guys choosing, okay, this field is going to be for the Blanco or this is going to go for a Reposado? Uh, how, how are you guys determining that? Really good question, Doug, and I wish I could give you a more kind of romantic <laughs> answer. But it's pretty straight it's pretty straightforward. It's a pretty practical way of looking at things, is that you know, we need to produce more tequila. What fields are ready now or what fields okay. are gonna be ready soon? And then we look at those fields and you know, we we look for that high percentage of super, super ripe agaves. So that's really kind of what dictates which field will be next Okay. in terms of, it's just kind of what's available. So Carlos and his family, when we started Tequila Ocho, there were probably close to 50 fields uh, within their family. There's, there's quite a bit more than that now, but we would just look, you know, those are all at different stages of development in terms of the age of the agave. So we may have a dozen fields that are at kind of one to two years and a dozen that are at three to four years and another dozen that are at four to five years. So those will all be coming to maturity at different times. So, okay. you know, La Loma, La Laja, El Pastizal, those are the ones that have come 
to uh, maturity most recently. So before, you know, we're going to start to taste, which is my favorite part of the show. I've got, like I said, this, this 2009 Blanco, this Plata here, this is coming from uh, Las Palmas. Uh, you said you, you found a bottle of this as well. well. What can you tell me about this? I know this is one that is, is very sought after. I mean, just, just great profile here. What can you tell me about this Plata? So Las Palmas was a field that had snowfall shortly before we harvested the agaves there. Now, this, this, since then, this has happened a few times, so it's less of a crazy occurrence. But when this happened, you know, 12 years ago, 13 years ago, whenever this was, that was a really freak occurrence in this part of Mexico to have not only snowfall, but really stay on the ground and, and cover these plants and cover these fields. And the upshot, again, we just don't know enough about the, the full effects of terroir, the full influences of terroir on tequila to make this claim. But I do think that, that that intense frost concentrated those sugars further. And the result is about 32%, if I remember correctly, was the sugar content for that for that field. I think it was 31 point something. Yeah, I love how your bottles, I mean, there's a lot of great information. Anybody that grabs a bottle of Tequila Ocho, I mean, read the back of it, really take time because you guys are really putting some, I mean, the altitude elevations, some some really great information all, all about this. So and when you guys produce these, I mean, so it is like you said, you, you may not even harvest all, a lot of times you're not harvesting all of the agaves. You're, you're kind of just making sure it's in that right, you know, that bricks level you're looking for, hey, this is ready to go. And then you make this round and there's a certain amount, every, every bottle is not numbered uh, how many bottles there are and then once it's gone it's gone i mean that's as we talk about this vintage and it's not something that you're replicating or duplicating year after year because sometimes these fields haven't been harvesting for for so many years is that correct yeah that's exactly right so you know the, the whole process for one of our fields is longer than eight years because after harvesting that field fully which which will often take a little bit more time even because as i mentioned sometimes we leave some of the agaves in the field for longer then we leave the field empty, let, let it lay fallow, and then plant other crops. We have a whole crop rotation okay. uh, program to give back nutrients to, to the soil. So we're looking at kind of 11 to 12 years usually until a field will repeat itself. So uh, El Vergel, which was the second field we ever harvested for Ocho, we, we re-harvested in 2018. But of course, like you said, that's going to be a different tequila because it's yeah. the same field, but the what has happened in those kind of eight years, those two separate eight year blocks is completely different in terms of climate and, and temperature and things. Yeah. So really they're two different tequilas. So yeah, like you said, get them while you can. Uh, because they won't last. Yeah, this Blanco, this 2009, I mean, it, it is just fresh. It's bright. I, I get, I mean, I can sense where uh, on the bottle, you guys even give some tasting notes, uh, a little cinnamon. I mean, I, I can kind of pick up a little cinnamon there. For me, there's a, a little bit of pepper on the back end, but I mean, just a full agave expression here with this Blanco. I can see where this 2009 is something that people uh, were quick to, to get their hands on. Yeah, and there's, it's, there's a lot of complexity, but what I like about it is it's well integrated. So you have these kind of really nice green herbaceous notes, yeah. almost like rosemary and spearmint on there. Yeah, oh yeah. And like you said, there's some spice notes, cinnamon, yep. there's some peppery notes, like cracked white pepper on there. Mm -hmm. The earthiness, of course, the sweet cooked agave note really is, is, is quite present there. Yeah. That kind of honeyed sweetness, brown sugar, almost, you know, like a touch of molasses in there with that cooked agave note. Yeah, to me, that's 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 the beauty of, of a well-made tequila is that you get so much, but it's well integrated. There's nothing sticking out 
it doesn't fit. Yeah, incredibly well balanced. And then I've got here the 2017 uh, Las Aguilas Rancho there. Again, that's a different area. And I think I read that that had only been harvested one other time back in the 60s. And then it just kind of laid dormant animals on it. And then you guys growing agave. So uh, like we're saying, everything is going to change flavor profile. And I mean, even on the nose alone, this is very different nose than that 2009. Yeah, absolutely. And then, we're, you know, we're going from kind of 2009 to 2017, if I remember correctly, for that yes. harvest. So, you know, again, we kind of talked about the water source. We didn't talk too much about the yeast, but those things will also change. So even though the production process stays exactly the same, we could get really geeky and say that, you know, the three ingredients that go into tequila ocho, which are agave, water and yeast, you know, those those two last ingredients will actually change quite slowly, but they will change over time. And Las Aguilas, tell me if I'm correct, if I remember, I don't have a bottle here, unfortunately, but it really kind of, there's a, there's a nice vegetal note on there, kind oh, yeah. of like a green capsicum pepper that comes through. Oh yeah. It's subtle, but it's, it, to me, that's very pleasant in this vintage. Yeah. And you know, I've, I've read a lot of articles that, you know, kind of do their lists of, of top tequilas and through and through your plata is always one of the top. It's just really great. I mean, you said you were right. Very vegetal, different. I mean, I get a little brininess from this, but really well-rounded plata or blanco or silver here for this 2017. I like that tasting note, that brininess. And there's a little experiment that you can do if you're listening at home, tasting tequila ocho. Put, dip your finger into the tequila and rub it on the back of your other hand. And hopefully if you're not wearing scented hand cream, this will work. To me, every time without fail, doesn't matter the expression of tequila ocho. What comes through to me is is a real olive brininess, yeah. kind of yeah. green olives or black olives or tapenade almost. And that's that's that same note, isn't it, Doug? That you got? Yeah, I mean, I mean, a little salty, almost kind of with that brininess for it. Yeah, I mean, I can see where people are always saying this plata is is one of the the favorites here. And then you know we're going into barrels here for the reposado and yejo extra and yejo. They're still all very light. What can you tell me about the Reposado? Uh, I've got here the 2019 La Laja. If that's, yeah, if La Laja. Wow, that's that's a really new release. Good good find. So I've, I've, I've got that, I mean, incredibly light color. I mean, if you look at this in the glass, I mean, even the Añejo in a glass, you could, you could guess this is a Blanco. But for this 2019, do you know how long these are being aged and what type of barrels? Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Doug. I mean, you look, you can see it better in the bottle. If you grab a bottle of Ocho Reposado Añejo, you can see that color, but you put it in a glass. And unless you're in a really well lit, very white room, I, I would say, you know, you'd be hard pressed to really pick up much color on there. I would describe it as a pale straw color for, for both, actually, the Repo and the Añejo. The reason for that is twofold or even threefold, let's say. One, we go for minimum aging on all of our core range. Okay. The reason for that is that, you know, that number one goal with Carlos and my dad is and always has been to highlight and maximize agave flavor. So the first ever batch they produced was 2007 La Rivera. They only produced a Blanco because they said, well, you know, we want to produce something that tastes as much like agave as possible. That means Blanco. Then they kind of started discussing and said, what if we did produce a Reposado? We did produce an Añejo and an extra añejo, but we still managed to maximize that agave flavor. So they played around with wood and with barrel programs. And what we've settled on is uh, what we call seasoning our barrels. So okay. we get all of our barrels from the US, you know, from Kentucky or Tennessee or anywhere else. 
first fill is American whiskey. So second fill, third fill, fourth fill, fifth fill will be Tapatio and El Tesoro, our sister brands. And those will soften the influence of the wood during those different fills. They'll also remove any unwanted kind of American whiskey that's still left in the barrel. It, it, you look at the barrel and it's empty, but there can be, you know, a, a gallon or more of American whiskey left in there, which will have quite a big influence. That's not the flavor profile we want. I love American whiskey, but when I drink tequila, I want agave. When I drink American whiskey, I want white oak. And, you know, so that's one of the reasons for that light color. The second, the fact that we do not use any additives in tequila ocho. And I know that, you know, your listeners will be probably very familiar with with Grover and his work at yeah. uh, Tequila Matchmaker, Taste Tequila. And they've done a really nice certified, I think it's called Verified Additive-Free additive yep. Program. So, you know, I think that's a great list for, for consumers to be able to refer to. And we're very proud that we've always been 100% additive-free. In fact, I suspect La Altena has for 84 years always has been. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This Reposado, I mean, it, it is light. I mean, that agave, as you said, it is the star of the show, I mean, which is what your dad and Carlos wanted. This Reposado, this Reposado was the first that I had in the line of, I forget the year, but it was, it was a different year of your Reposado. And to me, it did remind me of drinking a fine wine. I mean, it really did presentation, just enjoying. I mean, there's there's a little bit of fruitiness here. I mean, on the aromas, a little bit of citrus, but that minerality to me really shines through. And, and just that complexity of, as we're talking about, everything that's going into this with the, the uh, fields, with everything around it for the environment, to me, it reminds me of sipping on just a fine wine, enjoying all of those profiles and everything with it. I, that's really gratifying to hear that, Doug. You know, that's really what we're going for with Ocho. It'll it'll change in the glass. I mean, spirits will change in the glass, yeah. but it's another tie-in to to wine. You know, you can pour yourself a glass of this in a beautiful tasting glass, uh, tequila tasting glass like you have there, and just you know take a sip and wait a couple of minutes or wait thirty seconds even. Yeah, yeah. And it it will evolve over time in that glass, and that's just one of the beauties of well-made tequila. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is, it's bright, but it's also a little warm. I mean, just, I mean, just a really great reposado here for anybody that wants to try, man, just a traditional reposado. This, this is where you want to be sipping. And then, you know, we're still going here. You, you've got a lot of different expressions here. We've got your Inejo. I've got the uh, 2018 El Bajio. I thought we were going to be tasting the same one. Yeah, I've got Aspresas, which is a different. But what's what's great about that is, you know, we've got two different products of the same distillery, you know, the same year, but just different fields, all owned by the Camarena family. Again, that single estate. And each one, you know, as you're sitting around with friends and you all grab different bottles and go, hey, man, what are you picking up off of this one? What are you getting off of this one? I mean, the color still very, very light. And when you say minimum, so is this roughly around that one year point for in the barrels? This is exactly one year, the, the El Vergel 2007 that I had referenced earlier that someone had found in the Bay Area recently. That was a year and a day because the CRT inspector missed his appointment uh, <laughs> to come by and, 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 and do the bottling with us. So everything else, though, has been a year exactly. So it's minimal aging. The Reposado is 64 days, which, as everyone will know, is, the minimum is 60 days for that class. We do 64, just very tongue in cheek because 64 is eight weeks and eight days and yep. eight okay. squared or eight times eight. 
which is just fun for us, you know, but it's minimum and extra Añejo is three years exactly. This is, I mean, I, I, I did pour this a little before, so this has been sitting a little bit. I do pick up some of that, that green apple, but I also pick up a little of that caramelization, which I didn't get right away after it sat a little bit. I start to get a little bit of that caramelization, which would be coming from those barrels. Absolutely. That caramel note will come through vanilla note, obviously from, from American whiskey. There's a bit of chocolate, a bit of coffee. So the nice kind of almost bitterness from the, the yeah. tannins of the wood. So I always get on almost all of our añejos, I get this salted caramel, salted chocolate. That's just delicious. It's really, this is my liquid dessert. I skip dessert most nights and just drink, drink a glass of this. Yeah. I mean, it starts to get deeper. You know, we're not at the extra añejo yet. This starts to get just deepness of that barrel there. You know, again, long finish. I get a long finish here on this añejo. And then you do have extra añejos, which, you know, I, I've got a bottle here of 2015, the La Latia. La Latia, that's my favorite extra añejo. That's delicious. So funny story. I, I know uh, SipTequila.com, they, I know they uh, sell a lot of your products. And one day I got an email and they got their hands on, I think, 60 bottles of this 2015 last year. And, and I was like, ooh, I got to jump on this. I heard they sold out within a few hours. I mean, it just, they, they just went. So I know this 2015 is also one that people really, really collect. I mean, when you look at the color on this, I, I have seen reposados that are darker than this extra añejo. And, and this is three, three years in the barrel. Three years. Exactly. Yeah. Someone made a joke years ago that stuck with me. That just makes me laugh still today. They said, Ocho Añejo is the best Reposado tequila in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah, this, this extra Añejo, this is a real treat. I mean, this is really where we get that deepness. Those flavors really start to come through even more, but it's still incredibly well balanced. I mean, I, I get some spice here, a little bit of dried fruit. I pick up everyone's palate's different, but I get a little of that dried fruit. And we keep saying it, but that agave is like, Hey, I'm not going anywhere. I, I am here to showcase what I'm capable of and just a, a really fantastic extra añejo. Uh, again, Doug, that's so great to hear that, you know, that's, that's the goal. And we were reticent, you know, reluctant originally in, in producing an extra añejo because of that reason. But we find, and I'm glad that you find that as well, that we still get that really nice balance between agave and oak. And that's, that's always the goal with our aged expressions. Yeah. Like you said, dried fruit, probably not, we're not quite into that rancio territory yet but with our eight-year-old uh, extra añejo that we just did for fun a couple of years ago as a limited edition release that is getting into that nice really really rich kind of uh, yeah. starting to get that rancio note. These are all fantastic. And, you know, just seeing how important, you know, the land is wanting to be a good steward of these fields for future years. I know that Ocho is very involved in the bat friendly program. Can you talk a little bit about what that is and, and just really how important that is to the fields and to the entire industry? Thanks, Doug. Yeah. Another really, really good point. The bat friendly program is, is a partnership, let's say, between a few different organizations the the University of Mexico UNAM the Tequila Interchange Project yeah run by David Suro and then a number of producers and of course uh, Dr Rodrigo Medellin who's kind of the 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 face of the whole bat friendly project who's the kind of the foremost bat expert in Mexico and why is it called the bat friendly project and what does that have to do with with tequila well the agave when it flowers when it's permitted to flower this is a really important point because most agaves that, that do sprout the quiote, the, the, the fluorescence that comes out of the center of the plant, it's a long stalk with, with beautiful flowers at the end of it, will be cut off, it will be castrated 
because that's how the plant reproduces sexually is through the quixote. So they, they actually do call it castration because the blue agave for, for more than 100 years now, the blue agave has been reproduced asexually using rhizomatic offshoots, hijuelos that we call them, pups yeah. that sprout off around the parent plant. Those are natural clones of the parent plant. So what's happened is over all these generations of agave, we've developed through this method of reproduction, a monoculture. So there's there's essentially no significant amount of genetic diversity between all of these plants, these millions of plants that form the blue agave variety. Now, the concern of that is that in principle, while all these plants should be technically resilient or resistant to all the same pests and, and, and diseases, potentially, they may also be susceptible to, you know, something like that happened in the 1800s with wine, with phylloxera, you know, they wiped out all those vines. There's a concern, touch wood, this hasn't happened yet. We hope it never happens, but we are preparing for that kind of eventuality. And in doing so, we are finding ways to reintroduce genetic diversity naturally into the blue agave variety. And this is where the bats come in. The agave doesn't photosynthesize during the day. It photosynthesizes at night which is unusual in the plant kingdom. This, this plant is very unusual in so many different ways. Again, we could yeah. talk, and I'm sure you, you probably have, we could talk for five hours about just the, just the plant itself. So those flowers will open up at nighttime as well. And bats obviously being nocturnal and being animals that travel a great distance in one night to feed, you know, up to 180 kilometers in some cases in one night that they'll travel to go feeding. They are cross-pollinating these agaves over large areas of land, and the hope is that they will help us uh, reintroduce this genetic diversity naturally through this cross-pollination over time. It will take time, but it's something that's a very exciting project to be a part of. So it's us, you know, La Alteña, uh, Tequila Ocho, and, and a number of other, maybe three or four other producers currently that I'm aware of that are participating in this, in this project. The Tequila Interchange Project, I mean, they're, they're really doing a lot of great work. I mean, they're, they're trying to get uh, distillers and, and agaveros and different farmers to say, hey, we're going to take a percentage of our, of our agaves and we are going to let them grow to those quixotes can go all the way so it can bloom for the bats for it to do its thing. And so I want to encourage anybody to, to check out the Tequila Interchange Project. They're doing a lot of great work. You can donate to it. They're doing a lot of great work for the farmers there, for the school systems, for uh, kids of the farmers and for this bat friendly program so really really great work that you guys are a part of david Suro, everybody that's that's really kind of speaking up saying hey we we do need to be good stewards of this earth and what we're doing here because it does have an impact for years to come so uh, man jesse thank you so much for for being on the show before i let you go want to make sure people can find tequila ocho I, i know you put out a lot of great content on social media your social media jesse ocho i know like on Instagram, Tequila Ocho USA. You've got a, a handful of different Tequila Ochos kind of on, on social media. And then OchoTequila.com is your website where you've got a lot of great information. And as I said before, these bottles, pick up these bottles, read these bottles. There's a lot of great information on them. You guys are great distribution. I mean, you, you're pretty easily found throughout the United States. Is that correct? Yeah, we're, you know, we're still growing. Uh, obviously, we still are a relatively small brand. But yeah, we work with Samson Surrey, our importers, here okay. in the U.S. and we work with some absolutely great distributors in, in different states. So yeah, drop us a line. We we love to hear from anyone who enjoys Tequila Ocho. And if you have any difficulty 
getting a bottle, please do just write me. You can write to info at ochotequila.com or, you know, write us through Instagram or, or, or Facebook or whatever, and we'll get back to you. Yeah, I know. I mean, if, if you can find it locally, great. Shop locally. But I know Old Town Tequila has Tequila Ocho, SipTequila.com. They've got Tequila Ocho right to your door, quickly, safe, securely. So a lot of great opportunities to get Tequila Ocho into your hands. Jesse, man, thank you so much. Thank you for creating just an amazing brand. Thank you to your, your father, Tomas and Carlos for everything that you're doing with Tequila Ocho. Thanks for having me on, Doug. My, my absolute pleasure to be here. And thanks everyone for, for listening. That was Jesse Estes with Tequila Ocho. I'll have links in the notes where you can learn more about the brand as well as purchase it. Please check out tequilainterchangeproject.org. And I want to encourage you to donate. It's tax deductible and it supports a handful of great causes. You can follow me on Instagram at Agave Social Club. And as always, thanks for listening. <laughs>